welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this December 2013 episode of the podcast, we're going to focus on state sources. And I've got some great tips, tools, products, and websites for you to help you out as you hit the web. First, we'll start over at the Genealogy Insider blog, where managing editor Diane Haddad will give us the scoop on some up-and-coming technology in the genealogy world. And then we will jump right into our topic of state sources in our top tip segment with contributing editor Rick Kroom, who's going to be giving us some tips on the 75 best state websites from this month's issue of the magazine. And then in our 101 Best Website segment, we're going to go more in-depth into the Kentucky Historical Society website with Louise Jones, the Society's Director of Special Collections and Library. Then in our Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Tyler Moss, online editor at Family Tree Magazine, is going to be back to give us some search strategies from the catalog of recorded state webinars available at Shop Family Tree. And then we'll check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. She's the publisher of Family Tree Magazine, and she's going to be telling us about a must-have state resource. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the news from the blogosphere with Diane Haddad. All right, we're going to kick off this episode with news from the blogosphere. And here to give us the scoop is the Genealogy Insider blogger, Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hi there. Um, well, I know that uh, there's been lots going on, as usual, in the genealogy world. But one item in particular that looked really interesting that you recently wrote about was this idea that OCR technology could be applied to old handwriting. Tell us about that. Wouldn't that be neat? Yeah. Um, I I titled the blog post The Genealogy Dream in the Making because <laughs> that would change so much about how people do genealogy research, how records get indexed and put online. But Macavo announced that they are um, working on this idea of, they called it the holy grail of of OCR software, which is, is optical character recognition software that can read printed documents. But they're working on OCR software that can read cursive handwriting um, Which is just hard to almost imagine. Yeah, yeah. And so they did, they put up a blog post talking about just all the different steps they're going through and the little things that the software would have to be able to do. It would have to be able to differentiate between um, printing and handwriting. And sometimes those two things are on the same document. And then it'll have to be able to distinguish different styles. So there's a lot it has to do, but... Um, They've made progress on this um, on this kind of software, right? You say here that um, well, let's see. Uh, Cliff Shaw is the mm-hmm. company founder, and uh, he was talking about this process, saying that it um, says with limited vocabularies, potential answers, we're achieving ninety to ninety five percent accuracy. It, it's just hard to imagine, but what a difference that would make, like you say, uh-huh. in, in getting records up and running on the web. Yeah, just think about um, Family Search's efforts to gather all those volunteers, and they've created indexing software, and they just have people all over the world looking at records and using the software to index them. So that would potentially not be necessary anymore, and it would just speed up the process of putting records online, and then they'd become searchable by 
anything in the record. Yeah. And and I was thinking, you know, there's different handwriting styles as well. You know, when mm-hmm. you look at German records, you're looking at a different kind of script than maybe if you're looking at a different country or a different yeah. time frame. Yeah, that's the one I'm waiting for. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, um, on Diane's blog post, which um, it's called A Genealogy Dream in the Making, OCR Software That Reads Old Handwriting, um, at the end of that blog post, she's got a link so that you can read more about the software and see some of the examples on the Macavo blog um, of what this might look like and, and kind of the direction that they're trying to go. Um, I say go for it. This sounds wonderful. Yep. I can't wait. Yeah. All right. Well, we will uh, keep an eye on the Genealogy Insider blog as we continue through the holidays. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful, wonderful holiday, Diane. Thank you. You too. traveling around the country borrowing microfilms or ordering photocopies of birth, marriage, and death records, newspapers, county records, and more, you now can access a lot of these materials online, and many of them for free. Author Rick Chrome is here in our Top Tips segment to talk about some of the best state websites for researching records from his new article. It's called Best State Sites. Welcome back to the show, Rick. Hi, Lisa. Well, this is a great article because it really does cover the whole country. And um, I'm curious, what were you looking for as you were selecting this year's list of 75 best state websites? Uh, again, this year we looked for databases where you can search for names. In some cases, you can search online indexes and then order copies of the original records for a fee. But more and more sites now provide digital images of original records online for free. Oh, see, that's great. I mean, because it, obviously it makes more sense to see if we can't get it online first, even though not everything's online. Um, so much is now. So it saves so much time and money. That's right. It's um, a lot more convenient as you can access the original record online rather than having to go through the process of ordering something by mail. And, of course, it's really nice when the records are free, too. Yeah, we love that. Can, can you give us an example of what are some of the uh, genealogical goodies that we might be able to find on these kinds of websites? Uh, well, Arizona happens to be one of those states that has online vital records certificates. Um, there's a site called Arizona Genealogy Birth and Death Certificates, and you can search for births from 1855 to 1937, and deaths from 1861 to 1962. And the really good part is that you can view the original records online, so it's not just an index. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And there are really uh, quite a few sites that are really good. You're probably familiar with the California Digital Newspaper Collection. Oh, yes. It has more than 6 million articles in California newspapers dating from 1846 to the present. So you can search the whole collection for a name or another term and um, look at the original article. And um, I found that one to be really useful. It's a tremendous website. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, you know, it would be awful to go and put all this effort into uh, trying to scroll through microfilms when it turns out that there's a database online. And, of course, the thing that the database does for us is it makes it all 
keyword searchable. And to me, that's, that's the real <laughs> amazing part of it is that we can be able to so much more quickly um, find the items that we're looking for. And you mentioned uh, California, and I noticed that you had several um, great websites for California. Were there any states where you felt like you had to kind of leave great websites behind just because there was a lack of space in the article? Um, well, um, for instance, for Maine, um, we included a couple of websites that are really good. Um, there's Chris Dunham's website called Maine Genealogy. He's just an individual who has um, put together a really good site with Maine resources, including a lot of indexes to vital records, passenger lists, military records, and court records. Another good Maine site called Maine.gov Genealogy Resources um, is a portal to genealogy resources on the sites of the Maine State Library and the State Historical Society. But there's yet another um, Maine site that I didn't end up including called Maine Archives Interactive um, from the, I think it's from the Maine State Archives. And um, it has indexes to um, marriage records, death records, also Revolutionary War, land grants and pensions, indexes of Civil War records. So that's a good one that um, ended up getting cut at the end. Um, also, <laughs> Michigan has a couple of really good sites that we included. Um, yet there's another good one that we end up leaving out called Michigan Family History Network. Um, a lot of volunteers have transcribed records from um, counties throughout Michigan for that website. Also, Minnesota has a couple of good sites we included, but there's another new one called the Minnesota Digital Library that has um, more than 135,000 images, maps, and documents, and we didn't have room to include that one either. Boy, that's a good problem to have, isn't it, <laughs> that there would be so many great websites? Yeah. I've, I've, I've just written down the Minnesota Digital Library for myself because uh, that sounds good, and I've got a lot of uh, research to do out there in Minnesota. Oh, oh, yeah, good. Um, the sites we did include, like the Minnesota Historical Society's website, um, is really excellent. Also, one called the Minnesota Discovery Center has a lot of really useful indexes, too. Yeah. Oh, those are fantastic. Well, and the, the great news is here, folks, is that Rick has done so much of the legwork. You've got 75 wonderful websites, and he gives you a little synopsis of what you can find, how to get to it more quickly so that you really uh, make the best of it. Rick, it must be really hard to finish an article like this when you start going through websites. If you're like me, do you just find yourself all of a sudden you're doing research, <laughs> you know, and you're, you're knee deep into that website and uh, it's hard to move on. I, yes, um, naturally, I'm, I search the indexes myself if I have a family connection to the state. Um, um, for example, a couple of years ago writing this article, I was writing about a website called, let's see, Idaho's Digital Archives, and I found a really helpful ref uh, reference in their index to mining claims. But then oh. um, the Idaho State Archives ran out of grant money, and they couldn't afford to keep the website running. So that whole site is gone, and most of those indexes are no longer online. And they had more than 600,000 um, naturalization record indexes, indexes to court cases, probate files, and I as I mentioned, mining claims. So I was really glad that I um, searched that site while it was still up because 
all of those databases are now gone. So you have to take advantage of these websites while you can. You never know why, what might disappear. Exactly. Well, it's uh, everything's ever-changing. That's sure on the web. So, okay, folks, you've got it. You've got to get going on your 75 best state websites, and you will uh, find that article, the most recent issue of Family Tree Magazine. Rick, this is great, and now i got to go dig into that Minnesota site, so I'll talk to you later. Sounds good. In this 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots segment, we're going to be heading to Kentucky, to the Kentucky Historical Society website. And here to tell us all about it is Louise Jones. She is the Director of Special Collections and Library. Welcome to the show, Louise. Well, thank you, Lisa. It's great to be here. Well, it's clear from the website that you have all kinds of offerings there in person. You do genealogy classes and tours and lots of other activities uh, for historians to enjoy in person at the Kentucky Historical Society. But I know that there's a lot to explore online at your website as well. Where would you suggest that a genealogist who first comes to the website, where do they begin? Um, it's a really good question, and probably the first place um, I would suggest for someone to start would be with our main library catalog. And the library catalog is the it's the means by which we're trying to get people to link to all the other systems that are in, in at the Historical Society. So the catalog, while it gives you listings of what books, what manuscripts, what photographic collections, and what oral histories we have, it also links out to our digital collections, both in our digital catalog and also in the um, Pass the Word website that is our oral history um, component. So there are, um, those are the things that uh, um, a a lot of people um, don't necessarily think of when they think our website, but we've actually done a a lot in the last um, couple of years to make sure that uh, as, as many different types of materials are in that library catalog, it's not just books, it's manuscripts and maps and other graphic materials, whatever you're looking for. Exactly. Well, that's a great point. I mean, library catalogs really are expanding these days just because there there are so many different types of uh, content items in addition to just books. Now, I'm looking at the, the uh, website. So for those of you listening, we are at, his, uh, at history.ky.gov. And in the menu, I see learn, and then under that, research and collections, you've got search our collections. So if we click that, that's going to get us to that main page you were talking about. So I see the uh, search, the collections, there's the library, and then um, some great information as far as uh, using the library. Do we click here on search our collections? I see several different links. Are these the different areas you were talking about? Exactly. That first one that comes up is the collections catalog. And we've revamped the front page of that catalog to really serve our genealogical public. Um, so that basic search lets you just do a keyword search of anywhere in the catalog, in the library record. But we know that a lot of people are coming in looking for surnames, looking for information about counties in Kentucky. And so right. I actually have a tab for the surname and a tab for the county 
money so that you can go in and um, and just target those collections uh, that have that information. Um, one of the things that I will point out is that we are like every other library in the world, we are constantly adding to and refining our collections information. So Mm -hmm. if you did a search in January of 2012 and you did a search now for information on the Hollingsworth family, you would find two very different results because we're going back through, um, we recently completed an inventory of our family history collections, and we found all sorts of inconsistencies um, there. And so we spent, we've spent a lot of time cleaning up those records and making them much more friendly. Well, this is fantastic, because that's the first thing I noticed when I came to this page was, oh my gosh, there's a surname tab. And it's really nice to see that attention to the genealogists who are, who are coming to the site. But of course, there's so much more than surnames under the advanced tab. Um, we can certainly get really specific. And then, as you mentioned, there are so many different collections. And under a limiting, you can limit by collection, right? So you can really zero in on, let's say, rare books and pamphlets. Right. And I think one of the things to think about is that we think... Um, as, as the staff, we identify things by type of material, but a yeah. lot of our, our users, they don't necessarily think of something as a rare book or as a, um, as a pamphlet. Um, they want to be able to sort of, I'm looking for anything on um, Hebron Baptist Church and pull up, you know, a, a pamphlet or a manuscript record or a photograph of that item. And and so w- we offer that advanced search, obviously, for folks who are really comfortable with it. But, y- you know, you'll get the exact same thing if you go to the basic tab and type uh-huh. in Hebron Baptist Church. So going in for a keyword, I mean, you as, as the, the overseers of the collections know what type of item it's really going to be, but... As we come to the site, we're not going to necessarily know. So focusing on keywords, I hear is what, what I hear you saying. Right, and and yeah, it's a way of making, um, oftentimes special collections um, like manuscripts, like um, rare books and uh, photograph materials. They're not as friendly. Their search terms are kind of convoluted, um, and. The rules for us as staff are that we're supposed to use the Library of Congress, but. In reality, most people are are thinking as a community member of a mm-hmm. particular county, or they're they're looking for family information, and so they're kind of coming at it without that library degree. And they, we've just again, we've provided that basic search as a, a way of of saying this is this is like Google. Um, yeah, type in your words, and we'll see what comes up, and we can refine it from that point on. Wonderful. Well, there's, there's so much here at the website, and I would encourage everybody to go and visit history.ky.gov. But if somebody was fortunate enough to get an opportunity to visit you all in person, what are they going to find there at your campus in Frankfort, Kentucky? Well, they are going to find uh, a really lovely building. We are, um, we are blessed with the fact that we are in a modern building that was built specifically for us. So we've got great storage. 
um, we've we've got an open um, library stack system, so people can walk into our reading room and then walk directly into the library stacks um, to browse if if the library catalog is a little um, more frightening than they want to deal with. But they also have access to um, staff right in the reading room who can give them very knowledgeable help about what's there. Also, anything that is in our um, our archival storage for for more uh, the, the rare books, the manuscripts, and that sort of thing can be paged on demand. So if you have done your homework and you've looked at the catalog from home and you've said, wow, this Bible record, that manuscript collection, and this pamphlet, I would love to see. Do I have to make an appointment is the first question we get. Mm-hmm. And the answer to that is absolutely not. Just come on in. That's wonderful. So we can do our homework first online. So we're really making the most use of our time there in person. Exactly. And you can also, you can email us and ask us questions about things that you find. Um, There are also ways to, um, when you're in that catalog, to email that catalog record to yourself so that you can say, this is exactly what I want to look at. And here's the call number for it. Get a lot of people who do that as well. Oh, great tip. Fantastic. Well, I can't let you go without asking the question I love to ask uh, folks who oversee collections at historical societies and libraries, and that is, do you have a favorite personal collection there at the Kentucky Historical Society? Oh, you betcha. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us. One of my favorite collections is um, is a recent acquisition we got uh, about a year and a half ago. It's a collection of 27 manuscript letters that belong to to what we think is one family eventually, but at the at, at the time of these letters being written, they are probably two different families that are in the Hopkinsville area or were in the Hopkinsville area, which is Christian County, Kentucky. Um, the letters, one set of letters are written by a woman who is clearly enslaved, and she is writing back to her family and friends in Christian County, and she is asking after all the people that she misses as she has been removed to Mississippi City, Mississippi. So she lists in her letters, in addition to her own thoughts and prayers and and whatnot, she talks about all the people in Hopkinsville that she misses. She mentions them by name. She talks about their family relationships. And in some cases, she talks about people who are also enslaved. And so she mentions owner-slave relationships. The letters date from 1841 to 1858. And they are a spectacular glimpse into a group of people and a way of life that is largely not documented in the first person. Yeah. And these are the the Watson and Robinson family letters. Um, They are just, uh, they are a magnificent um, acquisition for us. And we have... They are, they are the kind of letters that just resonate, even if you don't have family in Christian County um, or you are not of African-American descent. It really doesn't matter. There is something for everyone in this collection. Oh, what an amazing uh, gift to have that there at your society. And I'm curious, um, as a curator, do you actually have the time and resources? Do you have the ability to 
even list the names of the people that she's mentioning? Because, of course, as a genealogist, I'm thinking about, oh, my gosh, you know, if we knew somebody in that that she's mentioning, would that be something that could be searched within the catalog? Or is that just beyond the time and and the, the dollars that are available? Well, the catalog links each of the letters has been digitized and transcribed in total. So the the catalog record links through a thumbnail to you just click on it and it will take you to the Watson Robinson letters, all 27 pieces, and then you can go through in the digital collections um, and look at each letter and read both the transcribed text and the... um, and the and see the manuscript letter itself. So yes, each one of those letters, because of the spelling variations, we mm-hmm. were and the the fact that sometimes the surnames from one letter to another seem to vary. We we gave them as much surname access as we could in the catalog, and then mm-hmm. we decided you know the better thing to do is just transcribe these in in total. So right. that is what we did. Congratulations. I mean, that's just fantastic. And and what a wonderful example that what we are looking for isn't always necessarily in the county of our ancestor. It may be somebody miles and miles away talking about folks that relate to us. It's, it's incredible. How wonderful to get a chance to talk to you, Louise. We are all now excited about the Kentucky Historical Society. And, of course, if those of you listening want to go check it out, which I highly recommend, uh, head over to the website, and we'll have a link for you in the show notes. Thank you again, Louise. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Well, as you know, our theme for this podcast episode has been state research. I have invited Tyler Moss here, the online coordinator for Family Train Magazine, to talk about some of their really specific uh, webinars they've run recently and how you can access them and what they've got in them, because there's all kinds of great tidbits that are state-focused that they cover. Welcome back to the show, Tyler. Thanks for having me. I know that uh, you have been running two different sets of webinars, and these are all now recorded, and they're available at Shop Family Tree. Tell us about the Crash Course series first, because I know that's sort of your your starting place, if you will. Correct. So last year and the year before, we spent a good portion of time, uh, about once a month, doing um, our state Crash Course series, which is pretty much what it sounds like. We took a number of states, and we did a um, basically an overview webinar of, of many different ones from you know Maryland to Connecticut, North Carolina, Kansas, West Virginia, New York, Texas, California, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, pretty much I mean most of the states you would be doing your research in. And in each of these crash courses, it's pretty much um, if you had ancestors there, it's really digging into things like, you know, what the distribution was between different ethnicities in that state, the top websites for doing research in that state, specific, uh, specific tips for finding, you know, your ancestors in the biggest cities in that state. For instance, you know, if you're looking at, you know, Maryland, we'd be looking at Baltimore and Annapolis or Charlotte, and North Carolina, and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. These were really a great place to start, particularly when your tree leads you into a new state where you haven't been researching yet. I know it's always challenging, and sometimes we just kind of start hit or miss, you know, reaching out to different websites. But here you you focus on the state, and you give us the overview. And uh, 
I like that we learn not only what's available, but kind of what's not available so that you're not chasing your tail. Now, I know you can go from the crash courses, which give you the great overview, to Beyond the Basics. What's the difference there? Right. So the Beyond the Basics series is essentially building upon what we established in the crash course series. These uh, webinars go into detail as to the more, um, I would say, the more complex and maybe you know, record sets you're not as familiar with. And that could be anything from military records and rosters to um, state archives in that particular state, you know, court records, tax records, land records, state-specific collections and manuscripts, you know, telling you which libraries to go to or what publications are available that you might not know about to begin with. So it's just kind of taking that foundation you would establish from the crash courses and really building upon it and digging more in detail. Now, I know that you have the advantage of getting to sit in on some of the uh, many of these live presentations and, and you're doing the recording of them to put these together for Shop Family Tree. What are some of the specific tips that you've picked up uh, in doing state research? Well, I mean, there's so many different tips you could go into, but here's some of the main ones I would say to keep in mind when you're thinking about place, which is obviously so important. You know, when you're conducting searches, where your ancestor lived is such a basic part of that search. And so one of the things that I've really found to be useful is that it's important, I mean, it could be very useful to build a timeline of your ancestor's life just so that way you can help match location or place that they lived with major events in their life, whether that's marriage or birth of a child or where they went to school, because as you kind of trace them from state to state, you can kind of follow what was happening in, at, you know, in their life at that time and then look up specific records based on what that event was. Yeah, and as you're going through the different courses and you're learning about record availability, of course, those will be in a time context as well. So you'd be able to kind of match everything up. Great tip. Okay, so a timeline. What else? Well, and like I was mentioning before, I think there's a lot of hyper-regional types of resources that people just aren't that familiar with, whether you're talking about courthouse research or church records even. I mean, D-Series webinars discuss how to bust through some real brick wall-inducing research problems that tend to crop up in certain areas, whether it's, you know, in a city like New York, this could be you ha- you struggle with maybe passenger lists because you had so many immigrants coming through there. Or, you know, many counties suffered from burned courthouses, especially in the South during the Civil War. And these are the sort of places you'd find, you know, wills or probate records or that sort of thing. And these these state-specific webinars can help tell you where, you know, those issues occur and how to kind of get around those different tricks and strategies. And, of course, you know, religious records from local churches, which may have tracked things like marriage or births even before the state did. Right. So much of that record-keeping happened at very different times, depending on who was doing it. And, and I really like, you know, you mentioned state archives, and um, I think so many people, you know, they'll they'll head to the state archive website and they miss that special little link. It's called Contact Us. <laughs> and really, there are people behind the websites. And um, my big recommendation is always uh, don't just look to the website, but reach out and uh, get in touch with those folks. Because, you know, the state archivist, the state librarian, they really know the ins and outs. And they can answer some of those specific questions. Uh, we might not get an answer, you know, within 24 hours, but um, that's why the link is there, is to reach out to them and get those questions answered so that you know that uh, you are kind of barking up the right tree. Well, these are a wonderful, wonderful resource, uh, and we're going to have links for you in the show notes so that you can find them for the states where you're researching, whether you're in the beginning stage looking for that crash course 
or whether you're ready to take the next step, which is beyond the basics. Um, thank you so much, Tyler, for giving us a great overview and some, some great tips from the webinars. Absolutely. Thanks again. As we wrap up this December 2013 episode of Family Tree Magazine podcast, let's check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Happy holidays. You too. And, you know, in this episode, we've been talking about um, state resources. You know, what are the sources that we're going to use as we're, as we're traveling from state to state here in the U.S. Uh, doing our research? And, and it's interesting. This is really timely for me because I'm actually moving to a new state. We're moving from California to Texas. Yes, and congratulations. Thank you. And, you know, it's funny because I was thinking, finally, I'm going to get a chance to research um, personally in some of those states that I've been kind of putting to the side in my family tree because I, I thought I don't want to tackle this until I'm there in person. So I've been pulling up the Texas, the Oklahoma, the Arkansas guides. Tell everybody, this is an amazing resource. What are the state research guides that you have? Absolutely. This has probably been one of our most popular series that we ever published in the magazine. And um, in the past year, we've gone through the rigorous process of updating all of the state research guides so that the information is more up to date from when we originally published. And now the whole series has been republished in a second edition um, on uh, CD as well as in an ebook, but you can also get the individual state guides as downloads from our store too. So whatever format, you know, if you're just looking for one or two states or if you want the whole collection, um, we have a format that will work. And so I'm really excited because like you said, whether you're coming to a state where you've never done research before, or in my case, I'm often looking for just a way to refresh my memory about what resources are available. The state guides are the best way to do that because it's all of the key information that you need to know um, consolidated into a little four to five page research guide. Exactly. I mean, I've been doing research here in California for years, and yet you go back and, and you really read through the guide and you go, Oh my gosh, I have totally forgot about that, you know, because you start to get tunnel vision to those sources that you get comfortable with that kind of pay off. And uh, I think it's a great refresher to go back through the entire guide for a particular state. Absolutely. Well, one thing that you get um, when you go back through it is you're going to be reminded of some of those historical events and key historical background that will really affect um, the resources that are available to you. So sometimes... We tend to get stuck. I don't know. This happens to me a lot where I think, oh, my gosh, um, I can't find a record. And then I realized, oh, it's because, wait, that record <laughs> hasn't been started in that state yet. Exactly. This kind of, these are the kind of facts that you'll find in the state research guide to kind of keep you on track. Well, there's nothing worse than looking for something that doesn't exist. Exactly. <laughs> and then you realize all the time that you put into it. Uh, well, you know, and for me, like I said, I, I started pulling out um, several of the southern states and I realized I think I need the whole collection because you know how it is. Once I start there and start making some more headway, it's going to lead me back to other states. So I think having that entire collection is a real bonus. Absolutely. Um, I find that 
once, like you said, with the piggybacking, you, you trace people back as far as you can get, and then suddenly your research will lead into another place, and having that information at your fingertips is super helpful. And also, it kind of can show you where resources overlap from state to state, where you might have collections that are um, similar or covering multiple states, and it's good to be looking at those adjacent states as well as the one that you're focusing on. Yeah, and how fantastic that they're updated, because things do keep changing and tell us, with with the CD ebook, does that make it keyword searchable? It does. Um, the PDF is fully searchable. Um, uh, what's a little bit different between the CD and the ebook is the ebook is sort of one giant ebook file where all of the states are combined into the same thing, whereas the um, this individual states are separate on the CD. So one thing that's sort of convenient in terms of printing things out is when you're printing from the ebook, you have to remember to only print the certain pages that you want. (laughs) Whereas with the CD, that's a little bit easier. You don't have to, you're only going to be printing out that one file that you're looking at. You got to love that. And you got to love that it doesn't take hardly any space on the shelf. And certainly the ebook doesn't take any. So um, a huge resource for a small amount of space. And of course, it's all searchable. That's fantastic. So uh, we'll have links in the show notes to get everybody to the new second edition of the State Research Guide. Sounds fantastic and perfect for this episode. Thank you so much, Allison. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining me for this December 2013 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and check out Rick Croom's article in the December 2013 issue of Family Tree Magazine. It serves up 75 excellent websites for state research. You can order the paper or the digital version of that issue at shopfamilytree.com. Next, head on over to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast to find the show notes for this episode, which will include information and website links for everything that we covered on today's episode, including that wonderful Kentucky Historical Society website, the State Crash Course and Beyond the Basics recorded webinars that Tyler told us about, and of course, everything else. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to join me over at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen in to two free podcasts, the Genealogy Gems podcast and Family History Genealogy Made Easy. And both of those are also available for free through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. Family Tree.